Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. It's time to talk about an initiative more sweeping than anything proposed by the Democratic Party in recent memory, a Green New Deal, and the larger challenges it raises for left leadership. For that, we turn to Kate Aronoff. She writes about climate and American politics for The Intercept and The Nation. Kate Aronoff, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. We're excited to see the new Democratic members of Congress in the House talking about a Green New Deal. It's the kind of big thinking that party leaders have avoided over the past few decades when liberals in Washington have focused on incremental policy tweaks, compromises with Republicans and corporations. But you say today's progressives and Democratic socialists face a much bigger challenge than simply passing good legislation. What is it? So the challenge we face right now is having to basically recreate uh, what constitutes economic common sense and, uh, you know, retake that ground away from the right. Because as of now, um, we're all sort of operating on the right's terms when we talk about things like the economy and, and the state. It's worth going back to how the sort of consensus that we're all living in now got built. So after the oil crisis at sort of the dawn of the Reagan administration, neoliberals have been working for decades to construct a new economic consensus. So, you know, more than making an argument for lowering wages, for busting unions, they had this fairly sweeping worldview that the market was the sort of ultimate arbiter of information and so crafted policy proposals, built institutions, canvassed business leaders, all to sort of make that a reality. And, and when Reagan came into office, he did a lot of that. He, he carried through on a lot of promises that right-wing think tanks had been sort of crafting for a long time. I want to talk for a minute about that concept of what constitutes social and economic common sense and go back to the right-wing effort. Uh, I was especially interested in your piece and what you write about the Heritage Fund and what you call the mandate for leadership when Reagan first took office. It's quite an amazing story. Tell us about the mandate for leadership. Basically, this, this think tank, which had been building for decades, funding from business leaders, wrote a, a more than 1,000-page document um, laying out a number of policy priorities um, that the conservative, the conservative right wanted to implement. And so when he was preparing to take office, he handed every member of his transition team a copy of this of this 1,000-page Heritage Foundation document and uh, ended up in uh, his, his first years in office taking up the vast majority of those. So 2,000 conservative policy priorities outlined by the Heritage Foundation after more than a decade of research and work at their think tank. And uh, Reagan took up nearly two-thirds of those proposals in just his first year in office. 
it does seem like the left has reason to feel a little uh, outgunned at this moment. But now let's go back to the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal challenges the common sense of neoliberal social and economic thought. Let's spell that out a little bit more about what are the implications of a Green New Deal for social and economic common sense. I think, I think the Green New Deal, more than, more than many other proposals, because it is such a, it is such a big vision, um, really does help to reimagine what we do think of as, as being sort of common sense. And so, you know, there is a sort of neoliberal answer to the climate crisis. I don't think it's really an answer so much as it is a, a response. But that would say, and, and people do say this, that if we just get the prices right, if we tax carbon, for instance, appropriately, and, and, you know, implement what's called the social cost of carbon, then the market will sort itself out. That the market is really um, the sort of all-knowing entity um, that is better than any governmental institution and any individual at sifting through information. And so we, if we help it along to process that information effectively, it will take care of this crisis for us. That means the market will conclude that coal, oil, and gas are not as promising a future profits as solar and wind energy, and therefore investors will learn how much more money there is to be made in the new forms of energy. Yes, that is the theory. And as we know, and, and, and this is true not just for energy policy and climate, but for uh, many parts of the economy, uh, the idea that that is the case and that we live in a world of efficient free markets is, is basically false. The U.S. government alone spends $20 billion propping up the fossil fuel industry, making it possible. The IMF has estimated governments around the world spend as much as $10 million a minute in fossil fuel subsidies, indirect and direct subsidies. So uh, what the Green New Deal says, I think in a, in a way that isn't, isn't particularly radical, certainly wouldn't have been radical 70 or 80 years ago even, is that the state and the government has a very strong role to play in how we transition off of fossil fuels. And so that includes things like remaking our grid, allowing the grid to accept uh, energy, renewable energy, rather than just distribute it out in the sort of fossil fuel model. Uh, that means building up infrastructure in cities for public transportation, for housing. And these are all needs that, um, as we have seen and as we, we know all too intimately, um, the private sector isn't willing to do. Um, if the private sector uh, was was set up to take on the climate crisis, it probably would have already, and we would not be in the place where we are facing down mass death, the sixth largest extinction, um, as, as Elizabeth Colbert has put it, and many others, and uh, a really grave situation that reports like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Changes report, the National Climate Assessment are all making clear, sort of if <laughs> I think we're... we're well out of time to wait for the free market to come and save us. Behind people like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, there are some think tank policy research institutions on the progressive left, not as well-funded, not as old, not as big as the Heritage Foundation. But you mentioned in your piece a couple of what you call scrappy left-leaning think tanks. Tell us about them. There are groups which I, I that on the Green New Deal in particular have been doing really foundational work. So the political economic 
uh, Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts. There's an economist there named Bob Pollan, who's done some really foundational work around uh, what a Green New Deal would actually look like. Several economists in the UK who Alexander Ocasio-Cortez's team and folks sort of thinking through this plan have spoken with, people like Mariana Mazzucato and Ann Pettifor um, have also done great work on this. So there is work happening. I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like they're, you know, we're, we're starting from scratch. We're certainly not. There have been people doing tremendous thinking um, on the Green New Deal and on other issues. But I think just the amount of resources it would take to do that kind of really deep sort of leadership pipeline development work, you know, placing placing people in, in everything from judgeships to appointments to things like that. You know, we don't have a federalist society either on the left necessarily. So I think there, there's just all of these institutions which have spent decades sort of crafting these um, really elaborate ways to feed people from the age of 18 into the sort of top echelons of the political system. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of what the, what the left needs to figure out now, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, there, there's, uh, I have not gotten to report on this too intensely, but I think there's probably an interesting piece to be written about how all of these um, progressive newcomers to Congress are filling out their staff position. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had her, the application for her, her staff positions on a Google Doc, which I imagine is a little different than <laughs> how the right does things. It will be something I'm really excited to see, um, hopefully sorted out, is, you know, how do you create not just, you know, and progressive electeds, but uh, staffers, policy wonks, all of these, all these other positions that sort of make up the, the sort of foundations of a new, of a new hegemony. It took the Heritage Foundation decades uh, to get to where it was when Reagan took office. So this is going to take a while for us, isn't it? Don't we also have to preach the virtues of patience? The truth is we don't have a while. The Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change has said we have about 12 years to avert catastrophic warming. So the truth of it is we just have to do a lot very quickly, and that includes getting the kinds of policy wonks and uh, progressive elected officials and um, all of these people sort of in place and, and with the armed with the ideas to rethink our relationship to the economy, to the earth, and, and you know to one another. Crises are... Times of tremendous hardship are very scary in many senses, but I think there are also times of tremendous experimentation and growth very quickly. If we look back to the New Deal, what the Green New Deal famously references back to, the United States did not have a welfare state, right? We didn't know how that would work. We didn't know at the beginning of World War II how to beat the Nazis, but we figured it out because the problem was so pressing and so dire. Kate Aronoff, you can read her article, A Mandate for Left Leadership, at thenation.com. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.